Well, good morning, and welcome this morning. Welcome to this fine March morning. Oh, wait a minute. It's June, right? So um, I don't have the power to say this or do this, but today might be the last day you have to use the heat in your car. Uh, that's if you're a guy. Um, if, you're, if the women in this church are anything like my wife, she's cold all the time, so she's always in need of heat, but... Um, welcome to church this morning. It's somewhat refreshing to have all this rain and stuff like that, but uh, it's going to get hot and it's going to get warm. Uh, we'll remind, be reminded that it is summer uh, when Wednesday, Thursday come around when it gets in the upper 80s and 90s. But thank you for being here. Well, title for today's message is Found the Secret Endurance. How do we, as believers in Christ, uh, endure the day? How do we endure our lives as believers? Uh, this world is not a friendly place. Uh, we know that Scripture says we are just pilgrims passing through. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are to uh, represent Christ in our lives. And so um, sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes we lose heart. Sometimes we lose the, the um, motivation the encouragement to uh, go on and continue to stand for Christ in our lives. Uh, the world isn't getting any better as far as that goes. Um, there's scientists and philosophers and and whoever else that are saying we just need to attain more knowledge and this world will get better. And uh, that's not true. Sorry to tell you that. Uh, the world continues in a downward climb. Uh, when we have chosen to put God on the back burner, um, whether it's in this country or the rest of the world, and whatever is modern progressive thinking, it will lead to destruction. So we look to God's Word. We look to it for encouragement. We look for it, to it for strength. And today we're going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to turn to that. Grab your Bible, open up those pages, or open up your Bible app and scroll down to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 16 through 18. And just to kind of give you a sense of where we're going with this, I have four points that I want to go over today. Uh, the first point is that, uh, do, we, therefore, we do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Okay. Number two uh, is about being renewed day by day. Number three is looking to the unseen. And number four is looking forward to a special eternal glory. And those will come up on the screen as I go to them. So let's go ahead and go to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. I'm going to read through that, and then we'll pray. And this is Paul speaking here. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, Paul says, and this is the first point, do not lose heart. Paul claims to have found the secret to an experience that everyone wants to have. The experience of not losing heart and being renewed day by day, Verse 16, just to say it again, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. I don't think anybody came here today 
wanting to lose heart. Nobody came here wanting to have their hope knocked right out of them. Nobody came here today hoping that Ken and the worship team or I would preach anything that would totally discourage you. Nobody says, help me be hopeless. Help me be discouraged. Help me so, be so discouraged that I can't go on. If Paul is telling the truth here in this passage, which he is, if he's telling the truth, he has found the secret that everyone in the world wants to have, the secret of how to not lose heart. Who wouldn't want to have the secret to being renewed day by day, to be renewed in your soul and to be renewed in your hope and to be renewed in strength and joy? Would any of you say, no, I don't want that? I don't want to be renewed day by day. I don't want to have any hope. I don't want to have any strength for the day. Nobody would. I don't think anybody would say that. So Paul claims to have found the secret. But what gives Paul the right to do that? Well, I could talk about his apostolic authority, that he personally met the Savior on the road to Damascus and heard the audible voice of God speaking to him, that he is an authorized representative of the risen, living, sovereign king of the universe, Jesus Christ. He does have a right to speak into your life about this, into our lives. But I don't think God, I don't think God ordained Paul to speak from an ivory tower of naive, inexperienced comfort. In fact, when Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded for some time, it says in Acts 9.16 that the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, I will show him, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. So verse 16, there are two things that give Paul credibility and realism of the secret of not losing heart. Number one, the secret of not losing heart and being renewed day by day is a secret for the suffering and the dying. Here the focus is how to be renewed, even though we are wasting away. What does wasting away mean? Well, another word for that is destroyed. And wasting away translates a word used five other times in the New Testament. And here's just an evidence of it. Luke twelve thirty three: Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near or nor moth destroys. Paul has aged at an accelerated rate. If you know anything about Paul's testimony, uh, that would cause you to age. The beatings that he's taking, the persecutions, the stonings. Paul is being destroyed and he does not lose heart. He is speaking from suffering and he has credibility. It's valid. He has validity. The destruction of Paul's outer man Outer man, his body, is coming from two sources, and there's two of them here. Number one is fallen nature. Because of fallen nature, the whole world is under God's curse of futility, corruption, pain, and death. Romans 8, verses 20 through 23, talk about creation that was subjected to futility. The whole creation has been groaning together. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons the redemption of our bodies. Now, I'm only 51 here, and I'm just a kid to a lot of you, but I'm also about 30 years older than a lot of you too, and you're all going to catch up. But our bodies wear out. 
our outer body uh, wears out and things droop and wrinkles show up and knees ache and ankles don't act like they should and muscles don't respond to hard exercise like they should, I, I always try to have a little bit of help. I have to take a pre-workout drink, or I think I do, in order to get going uh, in the gym at the Y. But it helps me get through that. But it, my body just doesn't respond like it used to. And you 20-somethings, teenagers, yeah, you're going to catch up to me, and I'm going to catch up to those who are in their 70s and 80s. But there is evidence that our bodies, they wear out physically. Paul is being destroyed, and he does not lose heart. God saves his children in stages, but not all at once. Yes, we are already forgiven and justified because of what Christ did in our lives, the moment of salvation that we had, but we're not free from corruption and death. We will all experience death. We will all waste away. We will all die physically. We will perhaps be swept away in a flood or struck by lightning or die of cancer. The second way that Paul's outer man is being destroyed or wasting away is because of fallen man. If nature doesn't kill you, man will. If nature doesn't cripple you, human carelessness will put you in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Being struck by a car, human hostility with a bomb in a backpack at the Boston Marathon will blow you up. It rains on the good just as it rains on the bad. But I wanted to take you to, uh, we're at 2 Corinthians 4, go to chapter 11. And this is a testimony, a biography of Paul and what he endured for the cross, endured for uh, Jesus Christ. Chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, it says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So Paul is wasting away. So whether it is fallen nature or fallen man, Paul is being destroyed. He is being struck down. He is wasting away. He is dying. And precisely in that situation, Paul experiences the secret of not losing heart. And that takes us to the second point of being renewed day by day. Number two, being renewed day by day. There's one other thing that's evident in verse 16. The experience of not losing heart fades. The experience of losing hope fades and we have to be renewed. If we didn't have to be renewed, Paul wouldn't have put, uh, said that. We have to be renewed. It implies that we have to have renewal. And if you are a veteran Christian here today and you've been a believer for a long time and you've spent time in the Word 
and you have your daily devotions, you know this to be true, that we need that strength. We need that hope. We need that encouragement. If you are new in the faith, this is one of the most important things that you need to know. That we do need that daily renewal. It is discovery of how to live life with endurance. The secret is you never have to look anywhere else for life and hope and strength and joy. Paul says we can be renewed day by day. And that means refreshing. We know that the word in Psalm 19 and verse 7 says that the word renews us. It refreshes us. It gives us light. It lightens our load. Your bucket leaks. The car runs out of gas. We can't live today on what we ate yesterday. The metabolism of your spiritual renewal is not meant to run on yesterday's meal. Your spiritual medicine does not come from yesterday's dosage. The text says renewal comes day by day. So we have to do that day by day. Now we know that every day is full of trouble. Jesus says that in Matthew 6.34. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Today is Sunday. There's going to be Sunday trouble. Perhaps we've had a couple days off. It's the weekend. Monday mornings always feel like Monday trouble. That's why I fill up, uh, take 16 ounces of my coffee and doctor that up to get going for the day. There's, there's Monday trouble. There's stuff that happens on Mondays that you didn't think of. There's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday trouble, Friday trouble. Every day is trouble. But the other side of that is what God says in Lamentations three twenty two and 23, that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. There is fresh water always flowing from this fountain, the Word of God. There's new gas to drive today's car, new doses to relieve today's pain, new encouragement for today's discouragement, new hope for today's despair and panic. So how does it happen? How do we endure? How do we persevere? How do we lose heart and get renewed day by day? Well, there are two clues to this text, and they continue here in the word renew. Paul uses the same verb renew, verb renew in the other place in his writings. And the first clue is in Colossians 3, 9 and 10, and I'm going to read that for you. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Verse 10. And have put on the new self. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We are a new self who has been being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So we are renewed in knowledge. We are renewed to true knowledge. The clue is in knowledge. Being renewed day by day comes through through what we put in our heads. Our heads influence our hearts. God has designed, John Piper says this, God has designed the glory of the human being such that the condition of our heart is profoundly influenced by the content of our head, by what we constantly focus on. I think we can all attest to that. Now, I'm not saying that if you attain enough biblical knowledge that you'll be good for the rest of your life and you won't ever have to spend any more time in the Word. I'm not saying that 
if you go on a Bible reading plan and you read through the Bible in a year, that you're going to be good and you can put that Bible on the coffee table and let it gather dust. You need the Word of God for instruction in your head, affecting your heart day by day for spiritual renewal. We're human. God has created us with a lapse of memory. We forget. I think all of the faults, the lack of memory, the forgetfulness, God did that on purpose, so we have to continue to go back to him and depend on him for strength and hope. I don't know any Christian who is being renewed day by day so as not to lose heart without putting biblical truth in their heads. I've been through it, and I know there's many who are in, in here that life gets so busy that that Bible seems to gather dust. We don't get, get to it. We don't open up the Word of God for encouragement and renewal and to get endurance out of it. And pretty soon we can look back on a week that's been gone by and there's nothing. We haven't spent any time on the Word. And then we look at what's happened in the week and how we've responded to it. And we go, oh, yeah. If I would have been in the Word, if I would have looked to the Word for instruction and wisdom and guidance, I would have handled that differently. Right? At least I come to that conclusion. Fresh strength in the heart is connected to fresh, biblical, Holy Spirit-illuminated truth in your head. Paul, he prays for the Ephesian believers in Ephesians 1.18. He prayed for them that their eyes would, of their hearts would be enlightened so that they would know, that they would know the power of God in their lives, that they would know uh, the inheritance that they have in Christ if you just look back to the beginning of chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul lists all those things of what we have in Christ that we would know, he, that our eyes of our hearts wouldn't be enlightened. Colossians 1.9, if you go back, if you're still in Colossians 3 to chapter 1, this is a prayer that pretty much covers everything. And if you've ever tried to pray through Scripture, this is something to pray through. And I'm going to read Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As a believer, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to... Be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so that you could please him in all respects. I think that's every believer's desire, that we would bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God, that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we would be steadfast, that we would exercise patience, that we would be full of joy that we would always be giving thanks who has qualified us to share an inheritance of the saints in light.
The second clue of how this happens is the cues that we get in verse 16 and 17 of 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 16 starts out with therefore or so. Verse 17 starts out with for or because, whatever your version is. Therefore is pointing you back to what was said before. Verse 17, the word for is pointing you forward to what to look forward to. And as I said, another word for therefore is so. Another word for for is because. I had somebody come up to me after the, the morning service and says, well, this is the question you need to ask. What is therefore therefore, right? Because without looking to why therefore is there for, <laughs> um, you can't see what God has for you. The gold, the truth that he has for you. That therefore is there for a reason, okay? Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples, back in Matthew 28. Go is a simple word. Two letters, you're supposed to go and make disciples. Discipling others requires them to know the therefores and the becauses so that they can discover biblical truths from themselves. So that we can pass that on to a new believer. We need to deal with the words of the text so people can see it for themselves. We teach kids to read, not so that they can depend on us adults to read the book to them up in, into their adulthood. We, we teach kids to read so that they can have it for themselves. So when we are mentoring somebody and discipling somebody, we teach them the therefores and the fors and the becauses and the sos so that they can have the word of God for themselves so that they can pass that on, so that they can disciple somebody. Let's look back uh, at an example. In verse 16, it says, Therefore, and there's five instances of how we can be encouraged to not lose heart. Verse 7 of the same chapter, verse 4, verse 7, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Verse 8 and 9, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body Therefore, we do not lose heart. Verse 14, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And 15, For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Paul is experiencing a heart-renewing power by filling his mind with these truths. Remember, the condition of your heart is influenced by the content of the head, by what we focus on, what our, what our minds are on continually. And Scripture speaks to that. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of, whatever is of good repute, we need to focus on those things. Dwell on these things. Think on these things. 
And I think all of you know Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. We need to think on these things. That's what meditate means is to, to think on things. It's not some Eastern religion where you sit crisscross applesauce and put your thumb and index finger together and hum a little bit. We're not emptying our mind. We're filling our minds with the word of of God, the truth, and its power. Number three is looking to the unseen, and that brings us to verse 17. It is with the for or the because at the beginning of verse 17 that we do not lose heart also. Verse 17 says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison, and 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For our daily renewal, we, as we look intently into the scripture for our daily fuel, it puts suffering, our wasting away, into perspective. And you didn't catch that. I didn't the first time either. But I was a poet and didn't know it. But... Here's another one. The Bible is fuel for our daily renewal. If you're a believer, there's only one grade of gas that you need to function on, and that is scripture grade. That's premium grade. This is premium grade. God, I've always said that this is the greatest love letter ever written, and that includes the Old Testament because we see how powerful and mighty God is in the old as we do in the new. This is all we need for life and godliness. We don't need to look to that new car or that um, bigger house or um, a better job for life and godliness. It's right here. Whatever issue you have coming, there's already the answer for that. Whatever pain and problem that you've had or will, the solution is here. The strength and the power to go through those things. Paul talks about our light momentary affliction. What does Paul mean? Well, light means a weightless trifle. Affliction refers to an intense pressure. And from a human perspective, Paul's own testimony lists a seemingly unbearable litany of sufferings and persecutions he endured throughout his life. He had lifelong persecution. 1 Peter 4.13, I'll take you there, that Peter... And this is all about suffering for God's glory. Peter explains that there are four attitudes that are necessary in order to be triumphant in persecution. Number one, we need to expect persecution. When we're standing for Christ in this world, at our workplace, uh, in our families, uh, we need to be, expect that we're going to uh, be hated or made fun of. Verse 12 says, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you on, on you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, uh, if they hated you, they hated me first. That's paraphrased. Number two, we are to rejoice in it. Verses 13 and 14, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, Keep on rejoicing. And we heard that a lot from 
uh, Paul in prison, he, he said, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Keep on rejoicing so, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What did Peter and the apostles say in Acts 5, verse 41? After they stood in front of the council, Peter and the apostles counted themselves worthy for suffering for the name of Jesus. Number three, we need to evaluate its cause. That's the third attitude. Verses 15 through 18, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in, his, in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Evaluate its cause. And then lastly, the fourth attitude that is necessary to in order to endure, to be triumphant in persecution, is that we need to entrust it to God. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So this light momentary affliction is preparing or producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, beyond anything we could even fathom, anything we could conceive is what we're going to be able to enjoy forever and ever, for all eternity. What does that eternal weight of glory mean? It means that we will have a greater capacity to praise God, to serve Him, to bring glory to Him. Like I said, there will be a reward for all, for far beyond all comparison. It will be beyond all the limits that we could even think of. It'll exceed all the limits. The fourth point is that we need to look forward to a special eternal glory. Again, verse 18 says, While well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, transient, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When I was looking at preaching out of this, I, I knew Giles kind of had me on the schedule and I was going to preach. And, but this is what God was impressing upon my heart is these, this scripture, verses 16 through 18. And I tell you what, when you're going to teach or preach or anything like that, um, God will make you practice that. God will make Scripture come alive to you in that. And he has illuminated this Scripture in my life. I don't know how many people I've come across, especially in this body of believers, that aren't looking at the scene. They aren't looking at their, their illnesses or their cancer or their tumors in their brains. They're looking to the hope of the glory of heaven that they have, that they know is true. They aren't looking at the temporal, the transient. They're looking at the eternal. So many times as an elder, I think, I need to go and pray with this person. I need to fellowship and talk with them and let them know that, we, that I care about them and that they're being lifted up in prayer. And I always walk away being the one that's strengthened in my faith. Because there's a lot of people in this body that are dealing with a lot of stuff. I mean, this world is, like I said, this world is full of trouble, full of sickness, full of pain, whether it's emotional pain, pain from their past, pain from how they were raised as a kid, 
pain, what has been going on in their lives, marriages. And they all, we all need hope. We all need to be strengthened by the Word of God. And the Word of God is sufficient for that. It is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces our souls. It speaks to us like nobody else speaks to us. I was told early on in my marriage, or before I even got married, don't try to change your spouse because you aren't going to be able to do that. Well, I, you know, I, I'm a guy. I still tried. It doesn't work. Um, and if I'm trying to change my spouse, uh, Jesus is always saying to me, uh, well, you need to change first, James. We always try to lift up people in prayer that maybe rub us the wrong way and it ends up that we're, it's our heart attitude that needs to change. So we all need prayer. We all need to be renewed day by day. And those people that have been such an example to me, and I, I run across those people too because uh, I work at, at, in a rehab facility. And God just has opened that up. I've met so many people and they are believers in Christ and they are faithful people to a, this living God that we serve. And it's like, wow, they just blow me out of the water. People just uh, desire to please him, to know his will and to understand and get, have wisdom. And wow, I just walk away being strengthened in my faith. While fallen nature can cause you to waste away and fallen humanity may oppress you, and yes, those things are painfully visible, don't focus on them. Don't turn on the TV and watch CNN or Fox News because sooner, within a matter of time, you're going to be focused on all the bad that's going on. And I had, I had mentioned uh, to the first service, um, whenever I start thinking about how bad I have it, God always reminds me of, of that hymn that says, Count your blessings, name them one by one. If you're ever going through a bad day, bad situation, start counting your blessings. I, it might be hard at first, but pretty soon you're going to start to figure out, wow, I am extremely blessed. First of all, I'm a child of God. Hopefully all of you can say that. And that he knows your needs even, he knows your needs even before you even know them. He goes before you, ahead of you, wherever you're headed and prepares the way for you. I've run into so many people that, Christians that move and they're just hoping that everything works out. And I'm like, I'm confident because God says he, he will prepare the way ahead for us. God did that for me. I knew nobody out here in western Nebraska. I grew up by Omaha in a small town called Utan. And the joke is, what do you do in Utan? Utan? Anyway, uh, Y-U-T-A-N. But anyway, I knew nobody out here. Um, but I had been a believer for about 14 months, been discipled in the Word by uh, somebody on the Navigator staff, and discipled 14 months, and then wham, I was out here. And God, every time I came out here to visit for the job, he just says, you've you got to be here. Well, I, I didn't know anybody here. But that's the great adventure that we're all on as believers, right? Because if God says it and God leads you, he's going to provide for you. I move out here. Five days later, I meet my future wife. Now, she'll argue with me that it wasn't me bumping into her at sand volleyball. It was because it, I, I was slow and didn't know how to play. Uh, that she was the one with all the skill. I hope she's not listening right now. But... Uh, 
you know, uh, God went before me, prepared the way, brought me into fellowship with other believers, and met my deepest needs. And that was the fellowship. That was the church body. And so I kind of digress on that. (laughs) But here it is. is. This is the promise that all your affliction, even if it lasts a lifetime, which it did for Paul, is light and momentary and totally meaningful. So Paul wants us, and God wants us to put truth, this truth, in our heads day by day so that we will be renewed and not lose heart. This life is full of pain. It's full of shameful things. But our affliction is light compared to the time of eternity. His yoke is easy, Jesus says. His yoke, my yoke is easy. His burden is light. In heaven there will be no tears. There will be no pain. So we do not lose heart because every single moment of our affliction in the path of obedience, whether from persecution, slander, fallen nature, or fallen man, All of it is meaningful. This glory that God will show us is beyond anything we could even imagine. It is totally meaningful. To go through all those afflictions and sufferings, it's doing something. It's producing something in your life. It's totally meaningful. Now I'm going to read a story, and it's back in Matthew 14, if you want to turn there. I'm going to read this story. This is uh, an account of the murder of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 14 and starting um, at verse 3. This would seem like a meaningless death. This would seem like it's totally meaningless. That it was for nothing. But let's read this here. Matthew 14 verse 3. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. You don't say that to a king, you'll get in trouble. (laughs) Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And if you remember, know anything about the kings back in the Old Testament here in this word, you know they couldn't go back on their, their oath, their word. Their reputation was at stake. At stake. In verse 8 it says, Having been prompted by her mother, because Herodias hated John the Baptist, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And they went and reported to Jesus. Can you imagine John the Baptist sitting in a prison cell? He's sitting there and all of a sudden two guards show up, one with a sword, the other one with chains ready to bound him and have him get into a kneel position so that they can chop off his head. And the reason they're giving for that is because some girl danced a sexual dance and pleased everybody. And her request was that she have John the Baptist's head on a platter? I would hope and I know that God spoke into John the Baptist's 
mind and heart and said, everything you've done for me is totally meaningful. This momentary light affliction does not compare to the eternal weight of glory that you will know someday. Well, I want to show this video. It's a video by Danny Gokey called Haven't Seen It Yet. And then we'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. Hey!
Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word gives light, gives us wisdom and understanding. And Lord, I pray as we go away from here today, that, Lord, we would choose to be renewed day by day by looking into your word uh, for wisdom and understanding, looking for to your word for hope and strength. No matter what we are going through, and everybody is going through something different, Lord, that you've brought into the lives, that, Lord, um, I know that your word speaks to it, and it gives us strength. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.